you got your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 1 as we continue our study in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 10 today and talking about having fellowship with God. The whole purpose behind 1 John is to indicate the authenticity of a Christian, to see if one is genuine. So when we think about that, the idea of finding something is genuine, I often think of the test of gold. You ever thought about that? You ever bought some jewelry and wondered, is this real? Is it genuine? Is it authentic? There's several things that you can look at. If you go to buy jewelry, there'll actually be a stamp on the gold. It might say 10 carat or it might say 14 carat. If you get some jewelry and there's not a stamp on it, it's probably zero carat. All right, so they'll actually put a stamp on there to indicate the authenticity of the gold. A second thing that you can do is a skin test. You can actually take gold, put it in between your fingers. Eventually, your your body will excrete some sweat. And if it rubs off on your skin and it discolors your skin, it's not real gold. Now, I found this out when my grandmother bought me a gold chain and wore it into the shower. And I had real ring around the collar. All right. There's also the magnet test. You know that gold is actually not magnetic. And so if it is drawn to a magnet, it's not real. But then there's also the float test. You can take gold and put it in a cup of water. And if it floats in any way, even if it just floats about an inch up off the water, it's not real because gold is dense. It will sink to the bottom and it will not float. So these are certain tests to tell the authenticity of gold. Well, John gives us authentic tests to prove the authenticity of a Christian, to know whether you're real. And so that's why we're going through 1 John, is so that you can know that you know. And so today we're actually going to talk about two tests that help us understand whether we truly have fellowship with God. So look with me in verse 5 is where we begin. We begin verses 5 through 7 starting out. It simply says this, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. So the first evidence of fellowship with God is that we walk in the light. We walk in the light. In the light. This is the message which we have heard and declare to you that God is light. Now you think about that. God is light. What does he mean by that? Well, there's so many scriptures that seem to indicate and show to us what he's talking about. In Psalm 104, he says it this way in verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. In fact, in Matthew 17, 2, when Jesus is transfigured on a mount, it says his clothes became as bright as light. The idea is that there is perfection, sinlessness. He is without any darkness within him, without any sin, without any imperfections, without any fallacies. So what he's talking about here, in fact, Jesus himself proclaimed in John 8, chapter, uh, verse 12. He says, for I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. In fact, he says it this way. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 
If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to walk in the light. In other words, as you walk with him, the light is going to so shine upon your life, you can't hide in the darkness, nor do you want to. You want to be there. I'm going to tell you one of the, the coolest things. I, I love my dog. Anybody have a pet that they love? I love my dog. Now, Caleb says he's his dog, but I believe he's my dog. All right? But I love it because if he wasn't pinned up, I promise you, as soon as I walk in the house, he's jumping on me, licking on me. He's, he, he is so happy I'm home. In fact, this dog loves me so much that as I go to the back door, he watches me go to the back door. He stands up on his hind legs and watches me get in the car and leave. He loves me. <laughs> now you say, well, why do you say that? Because I'm going to tell you, when you love Jesus, man, you don't want to see him leave. You're excited to be in his presence. And you can't wait to be with him all the time. When we have fellowship with God, we want to walk in the light. We're not scared of the darkness. We're not scared of what's going to go on. Why? Because when Jesus is with us, we don't fear the darkness. We don't fear the things that are going on in the world because he's with us. Now look at this. It says this. He says, not only is God light, but he says, in him is no darkness at all. Now, at first you might think, well, that's kind of redundant, but you've got to think about this for a moment for when this book was written. This, written, this word was written back during Greek mythology, during the time of the Roman gods. And so when they talked about gods like Zeus, and when they talked about gods like Aphrodite, you've got to think that Zeus was willing to mis uh, disguise himself and come down among men and sleep with women to have children. So they would look at that and they'd say, well, that's the way gods are. Gods are just as mischievous as men, and they can fall into darkness. You think about Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the type of god that said, if you don't believe in my beauty, then she would slay them. And so they had those kind of gods that they worship. So when all of a sudden Jesus comes along and they say, he's the light, and in him is no darkness. In other words, you'll not find any fault in him. You'll not find mischievousness in him. You'll not find any difficulties in him. There's no darkness within him. There are no problems with him. There's no sin in him. They could not come comprehend that because all the gods that they serve were the exact opposite of that so he says he is light and in him is no darkness we want you to understand he's different from every other god you've ever thought there was there's nobody like him john wants to point that out clear as day and in verse 6 he says and if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth have you ever noticed that darkness is chased away by light you flip on the light there's no darkness within the light Whatever the light hits, it lights up. You can carry a little lantern with you and put it down at your feet. It will light your path. You can take a flashlight wherever you turn the light. What? Darkness dissipates and separates and goes away. When you are in the light with Jesus, there can be no darkness in you. Do you understand what he's talking about here? He says, we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. In other words, you're not going to try to walk in the dark because in order to walk in the dark, you have to separate yourself from the one who is light. To walk in darkness means you're willing to look at Jesus and say, I want you for some things in my life, but I don't want you for all things in my life. Let me tell you, that happens a lot of times. There was a doctrine that went around about a couple of decades ago called free grace. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Free grace was this idea that I could accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life, but I can go out here and live any way I want to. That comes from the very pits of hell. It comes from a first century doctrine called Gnosticism that says I can be saved in the spirit, but I can do whatever I want in the flesh. That's not scripture at all. Scripture teaches that if we are in the light, as we're walking in the light, we won't run to the darkness. We won't have anything to do with the darkness. 
He says, we won't walk that way. He says, and if we do, he says, we lie. You know why? Because when you have fellowship with the light, you don't want fellowship with the darkness. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 16 says this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? You got to understand, and, and please understand, that doesn't mean that you can't be friends with those that aren't Christians. It doesn't mean that at all, because hopefully you can be a light to them. But what it does mean is you've got to be careful of how you walk in the things that you do, because our life walk displays who we really are. If we're busy walking in darkness and the idea is that we continuously practice sin, we continue to live in sin and we just expect God to forgive it and let it go, that it's, everything's going to be okay because we're in, we supposedly are in the light. The truth is, is if you're in the light, you don't want to fall into the darkness. When you do fall into the darkness, you want to get your heart right and get back to the light. It's that simple. We can't walk in darkness. If we say that, then we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, he is in, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, I've made all things new. The old things have passed away. If you're new in Christ, He makes all things new. He transforms your life. You don't want to go back to that old lifestyle. Here's the thing. There is evidence of darkness and there is evidence of light found in the Scriptures if you're walking in either one. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse, beginning in verse 3, Here's an idea of how you know you're walking in darkness. It says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremongering nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers of them. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The truth is, is it's not they that do such things. It says they that practice such things. In other words, those that continuously live in a lifestyle of sin and expect God to just be okay with it. They show that they have no desire to be in the light because they'd rather live in the darkness and believe that God will clean them up in the end. You can't be that way. Those are the works of the flesh. But just as the works of the flesh are evident, so are the works of the light. It says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ephesians 4 32, and be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's, uh, Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In other words, if you are a genuine Christian, 
people know you're in the light. They know by the way you live. They know by the way you walk. They know by the way you talk. They can see that you don't have a desire to live like the world, but a desire to live like Christ. If we walk in the light, we have such a great desire to stay in the light. But I love this. At the end of verse 7, he says, In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Listen to Revelation 1 and verse 5. I love this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 5, 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, when we read that, a lot of times people say, oh, your God is a God of blood. He likes blood, and that seems to be all that he talks about. No, what I want you to understand, my God is not a God of blood. My God is a God of redemption. You need to understand that redemption costs something. In order to redeem something back from where they've gone, it costs something. Do you realize that the very first sin cost an animal its life? When Adam and Eve sinned, a lot of people miss this because they look at it and they say, oh, okay, well, God just forgave them. No, God didn't forgive them and God didn't just punish them. He redeemed them even in that moment because it said he made skins to cover their nakedness. In order to have skins to cover their nakedness, an animal had to die. There has always been a blood covenant. The idea is that death can only bring redemption. The problem was is the animals in the Old Testament couldn't not redeem man enough. They could not totally pay for the sins. Why? Because those animals were not perfect. But one day there would become a perfect lamb of God who would pay for the sins of the world and he would die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And because of that, through that blood, we are redeemed. We're redeemed. I believe in a God of redemption, not a God of blood. But listen to Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross... He made peace. We're going to talk about this next week. I don't want to get into it this week, but I love the word propitiation. It is a powerful word. And if you don't know what that means, be here next week and you'll find out. Because what we've got to understand is what it cost God to bring peace to himself. It cost him the greatest sacrifice that has ever been known to mankind. But it says, And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh, through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And I'm going to tell you, there's great power in the blood of Jesus. We sing about the blood. Why? Because of the power that it has to redeem all of mankind. And we talk about that and all people say, what do you mean by washed in the blood? The idea is that his sacrifice, his payment was made that you might have peace with God. It is the most powerful payment. It is the most powerful thing that has ever been done in this world. To sum up walking in the light, John talks about it in another gospel in John chapter 3, verse 19. It says this, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth 
evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, and they are wrought in God. You know what's amazing about the forgiveness of God and the sacrifice that he made is that it's okay that God exposes our sin. Why? Because the moment that he exposes it, we can confess it and he will forgive it. The problem is, is if we're not willing to have it exposed, it means we're also unwilling to confess it. And if we're unwilling to confess it, then he's unwilling to forgive it. And if he's unwilling to forgive it, then woe be unto you. You see, the Bible makes it clear that we ought to walk in the light. He says, man loves darkness. I mean, look at that. He said that light has come to the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The truth of the matter is, is the very first thing that God has to do in order to save you is expose who you really are. Now, I'm going to be honest, we don't like that. We don't like to be exposed. We don't like people to know the real us. But let me just go ahead and tell you something. God knows the real you. He knows your heart. He knows everything you've done. And the fact that he knows that and he's still willing to forgive you if you confess it, that's powerful. That is extremely powerful. But we must walk in the light if we're going to have fellowship with God. The second one's found in verses 8 to 10 of 1 John 1. Look there. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The second thing to know when we have fellowship with God is to confess our sins. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin. Now please understand what John is talking about here is the person who says that they have no present sin. Could you imagine somebody saying, you know what, <laughs> I've become a Christian, and since I've become a Christian, I never sin. Uh, you're a liar. Okay? I wish I could tell you that the moment I got saved, I never sinned again, but that's not true. This person is declaring that, guess what, since I've become a Christian, since I follow Christ, I don't sin. There is no sin within me. The truth of the matter is that that can't be true. Because I'll tell you what, if, you're, if that's true, then you're better than Paul, and that's saying something. Because in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, Paul says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do not allow, not for what I would, that I do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good, which, uh, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. You know what Paul's basically saying there? He's saying, you know what? I know the things that I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't always do them. And I know the things that I'm not supposed to be doing, and yet sometimes I do them. Paul says, I struggle. In fact, he writes about it in the letter of Galatians, how the flesh and the Spirit wrestle with one another. In other words, to say that we have no sin, we lie. To say that we have no sin, we're not being biblical. It says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If anybody understood sin, it was David. When David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, you read Psalm 51 and he begins to cry out, Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me thoroughly. Make me clean. Do not cast thy Holy Spirit from me. He begins to cry. He understands I've sinned. I've fallen short. Please forgive me, God. Please cleanse me. Please 
restore that relationship as it needs to be. He confessed. He recognized he had sin within him. As all Christians should recognize that we are sinful. But here's the thing. Verse 8 tells us what we need to do when we sin. Or verse 9. If we confess our sins. I'm going to tell you. We don't like the idea of confession. Now I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I am not a Catholic priest. You do not have to confess them to me. And I'm thankful for that. Because let me tell you something, I can't absolve your sins. There's one mediator the Bible teaches between man and, and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus. There's only one you have to go to for repentance. There's only one who you need to confess to, and that is Jesus. But we see that all throughout Scripture, confession was absolutely essential and important for the life of a believer. John the Baptist, in Matthew 3, when he preached, he said this in verse 2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You look over into verse 7, and it reads on. He says, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now as the axe is laid unto the root of the trees, therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. I indeed baptize with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jesus Christ also preached that confession was important. In Matthew 4 and verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say to them, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can read it time and time again. Jesus declared repentance. The disciples in the book of Acts declared that we need to repent. We have to confess our sins. If we're unwilling to confess our sins, then we're unwilling to agree with God that what we have done is wrong. Let me tell you something. It needs to be more than just mere lip service, though. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 9. Listen carefully. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. There's the problem. Many people are made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There's a difference between the two. Listen to verse 11. For behold, this same self thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, it should build up a brokenness within us. A brokenness to where we are angry that we sinned, that we fell short of God. It should bring a desire in us that we want to clear our names quickly in the name of God. We want to make sure that our relationship with God is made right. We confess in a sense that we really want to make certain that we are right with God. Not that we're right and worried about what men think. You see, repentance and confession are so vital and so important to a Christian life. And it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing that 
God is ready to forgive. (laughs) Now that stands opposed to a lot of people today, right? A lot of people today that claim to be Christian, but they're unwilling to forgive. Let me just tell you something. If you're unwilling to forgive, the Bible makes it clear you're not forgiven. Just put that in your pocket and hold on to it for a little while. If you're unwilling to let things go against us, here's the thing. With all that you've done against God, what little somebody's done to you is nothing. And if God is willing to forgive you for everything you've done to him, how dare you not forgive that person? You see, he's willing to forgive. He's ready. He's willing. If we'll confess, if we are faithful in our confession and we're true, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus taught this when he did something that was very unique in John 13. He taught this principle to us as Christians when he said this, John 13, beginning in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit and year clean, but not all. Now there's a principle being taught there. Peter goes, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part with me. I promise you it's not about washing feet. And then Peter goes, well, here, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, I don't need to wash you. You've already been washed. Here's the principle he's trying to make. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're cleansed. Your body's been washed. Your hands, your head has been clean. The problem is, is as we walk around in daily life, our feet get dirty with the sins of this world and we fall into those sins. And the idea that Jesus was trying to teach there is we need to daily confess our sins that we walk into each day. We are clean. We are justified before God. We've been saved. And therefore, if we were to die at that moment, we would go and be in the presence of God. But the thing is, is our walk with Christ daily produces sin sometimes because we walk away from the light. We choose to sin. And he says, you need to confess. Confess that sin on a daily basis so that your fellowship with me is not broken. That principle is what Jesus was trying to teach them. And here, John is trying to say the same thing. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We need to confess when we sin. But he goes even further in verse 10. He says something that's mind-blowing. Because he not only deals with present sin, he deals with past sin. If we say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me tell you something. If you're not a Christian, the first thing you got to admit is you've sinned. It's one of the toughest things to do, but the truth is, is we all have sinned. The Bible makes that very clear. And normally I would just read Romans 3.23, but I want to read that whole section because of how powerful it is, beginning in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You get that? Nobody's good. Nobody's righteous. 
Their throats and open sepulchre, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, no matter how much you try to do the law of God, no matter how much you try to live a perfect life, you will always fall short. You cannot make it to heaven on your own. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. In other words, here's what you need to know. On God's playing field, we're all on the same level. You might say, well, I lived a better life than so-and-so. God doesn't care about that. Well, I did more work than so-and-so. He doesn't care about that. When it comes to salvation, we're on even playing field. Everybody has to come to the cross through repentance and confession and turning their life over to Jesus Christ. There is no difference for any one single person. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How do we make him a liar? Well, we deny that all sin and we deny our need for a Savior. I hope you don't deny your need for a Savior. Because if you do, one day you're going to stand up there before God Almighty. And you won't have Jesus Christ as your advocate. The Bible says that we need to confess our sins. If we want to say we have fellowship with God, number one, we don't want to walk in darkness. We're not going to continue to pursue the things that we once pursued. We're not going to. Here's the thing. If you fall into sin, if you're a Christian, you're going to feel guilt. I promise you, you'll feel guilty. If you say, well, I don't feel guilty when I sin, then I would tell you, you might want to check whether you have a relationship with God. Because if you're walking next to the light, he'll expose it. He will show it. And you'll feel the need to confess it. Repent of it. And turn from it. John makes it very clear that if we're going to call ourselves ones that walk with God, ones that fellowship with God, he'll expose our sin and we're willing to confess it and make things right. If you want to claim to be a Christian, these are truths that you must live by. These are two tests that have to be true and real in your life. I'll be honest with you, God had to speak to me a long, long time ago about this and reveal to me that I wasn't living righteously, that I wasn't living like I was supposed to be living. I had been doing everything for myself, living in the ways that I wanted to live my life wasn't any different. I had prayed a prayer when I was five, but I wasn't different. There was no difference in me. I went to church because my mom and dad made me go to church. Not only did I go to church because my parents made me go to church, I had no desire to read the Bible. I had no desire to pray. I had no desire to worship. I'd sing just to sing because I wanted people to hear me sing. That was it. If I'm just being honest. Man, when I was without God, it was obvious. Even though I believed in my heart I was a Christian. Even though I believed in my heart that I was saved, the truth of the matter was is God has ex exposed me. And when he exposed me, I had a choice to make. 
I could do like so many other people in church and go, nope, I'm good. I'm already saved. I'm already a Christian. I did it when I was five years old. I got baptized. I, I even got a certificate that tells me I'm saved. Can I just tell you something? You can take any certificate you want to heaven and it's just going to burn up. You can join any church you want. It's not going to matter. You can teach any class you want, serve in any ministry you want. You can even pick up the Bible and read it every day. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll stand up there with nobody by your side one day. And I pray it doesn't happen to you. What does it mean to have fellowship with God? You'll walk in the light. You'll confess your sins. And you'll live a genuine and true Christian fellowship with the Father and his son, and get this, and one another. When somebody tells me they don't have to go to church to be a Christian, that always breaks my heart. The answer is, you're right, you don't. You just have to go to church to be obedient. And if you don't love the brethren, if you can't get along with Christians down here, what makes you think you'll get along with them up there? You're going to live with them for eternity, really? Give me a break. You just want to be on the ball field, the lake, vacation, wherever else you want to be. It ain't about the people of God. It's about you. Get it right. Confess your sin and make things right.